Sir Isaac Newton from up above looks down and says about that gravity thing, I was wrong. Messi was right. He teases gravity. This balance is astonishing. His feet are taken. Everybody, I'm Hassan, and this is the Football Comment, a podcast in which I'll try to review books and documentaries related to football or soccer, if you prefer to call it that way. Though I think you should not. It is just horrendous. It's soccer. Fuck you, man. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Right now, I'm super excited. Why? Because I'm recording the debut episode of my podcast, The Football Common, for God's sake. So I think I can be excited. I'm allowed to be excited. Now, you might ask, what kind of podcast is it? Is it one of those boring podcasts on analyzing football matches? And you're gonna make tasteless comments about them here? Is it about a kind of bullshit? Nope, of course it's not. This podcast is all about, as you heard in the intro, reviewing books and documentaries on football. And when I say books, I mostly mean autobiographies and memoirs. However, it is possible that every now and then I select novels. But I know for a fact that so far, not many great works of fiction have been written on this subject. And I deliberately excluded movies and only said documentaries. Because in my entire life, I've never come across even a mediocre feature film on football. Let alone a good one. So, no movies will be reviewed here. I guess, at least for the time being. By the way, if somewhere down the road I stumble upon an interesting movie whose plot revolves around football, it's about football, I don't see any reason for talking about it here. So why does, uh, you know, since this is the very first episode of the podcast, I think it won't hurt if right out of the gate I tell you a little bit about myself and my interests. I know, I know. You don't know me and you don't give a shit about what I like. You might even say, shut the fuck up. Cut to the chase. Do what you want to do. We are already bored. Yes, I understand where you are coming from. But I have a genuine reason for filling you in about my interests. And when I say interests, I just mean the teams, the clubs, and the players that I like. And I'm sharing this information with you up front just now because I believe these affections towards certain teams can affect my choices and even my judgment about different products. I mean, the films and the books that I'm going to review here later. So my rationale is to give a heads up to you about my prejudices. And this is despite the fact that in this podcast, in all honesty, I will try to be as unbiased as possible, but sometimes I just can't help it. We are all human beings after all. Human beings are weak, pathetic, feeble-minded creatures. 
So let's talk about the teams that I like. In fact, there are a few. You know, when it comes to supporting football teams, I'm one of those people who practice polygamy. I know that there are some rabid stupid fans of different clubs who will say, you should just stick to one club, otherwise you're not a loyal fan. Fuck these morons. I believe supporting several clubs, especially if they don't compete in the same local league, is not big of a deal. But don't get me wrong, I'm not a trophy seeker. As a matter of fact, I hate them. I only want to say we, as football fans, are not cap tied to just one team, right? For me, it's like one primary club and a couple of backup ones. And of all the countless clubs in the whole world, there is only one club that they truly hold dear. And that team is... Yes, Barcelona, yeah, I know where you are getting at. 8-2 against Bayern, 90 minutes of pure humiliation, conceding goals after goals. I admit, it was horrible. My ego was shattered into pieces and it hasn't been healed yet. But don't forget, it is how football works and you don't always win. Sometimes win, sometimes lose. Sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. On top of that, I have witnessed the great days of the club when they won four Champions League titles in less than 10 years. Four Champions League titles. Four. Subject F26184 is multi-orgasmic. And as a fan, that is enough for me. Although, to be honest, I miss those days. However, I'm almost certain that Barca will win important international trophies again in the coming years, but probably not in the near future, especially with this current dreadful management. With that being said, now because of what happened to Messi over the last couple of weeks, he was on the verge of leaving the club, but they forced him to stay. While it is highly likely that he will leave the club at the end of the coming season, I am a little bit on the fence about the primary club that I will root for in the next seasons. Because definitely I'll support any club that he joins as long as he's playing for them. And God forbid, if one day he plays against Barcelona, that's horrible. I have to face the thorny dilemma of choosing between him and my favorite club. But even in this case, I think I still prefer Lionel Messi. You don't like to turn your back on the goat because he will eventually headbutt you. I don't want to be that person. Well, it seems that Bartomo does. There are also two other clubs that I have a liking for. I promise I'll keep it short. And they are Liverpool and AS Roma. Liverpool, you know, and the beginning is started to support them out of my hatred for most of the other Premier League clubs. I mean, I sort of despised the so-called top four, I don't know, top five English football teams, mainly Manchester United and its manager Alex Ferguson. So I decided to side with one of their strongest rivals. The same somehow goes for AS Roma. I was not a big fan of them from the start, but Somewhere down the line, when Gabriel Baristuta, one of my all-time favorite footballers, joined the club and teamed up with Francesco Totti, whom I admire too, I told myself, look, you should support these bastards. And 
after a while, both of these clubs grew on me and now I support them for the sake of the clubs and nothing else. And I consider myself one of their fans forever. Love of a sports team is a lifetime obsession. Kind of like your best friend's older sister, right? So now that we got this out of the way and you know about my prejudices, Let's get down to brass tags, which is reviewing and talking about the documentary titled Make Us Dream. The documentary that I've chosen for today's episode is, oddly enough, related to Liverpool. As I already warned you, sometimes I can become slightly or even extremely biased towards the teams that I like. The title of this documentary, which was released in 2018, is Make Us Dream. And it's been directed by Sam Blair, a guy whose specialty seems to be making sports-related documentaries. Make Us Dream chronicles the highlights of the athletic career of one of the most iconic Liverpool's legends, Steven Gerrard, from the time he joined Liverpool's Youth Academy, when he was just a nine-year-old kid, up to the time he left the club in 2015 at the age of 35. We can safely say it even goes beyond that time frame because the only exclusive videos that we see in the film are the ones that were shot in Los Angeles when Gerard played for LA Galaxy and also some footage from the time he was coaching one of the youth teams at Liverpool's academy, I guess in 2017. Since Steven Gerrard, so far, has published two autobiographies, I don't know how many more he still has in store for us, and I happen to have read the second book, the one titled My Story. In my review, whenever it's necessary, I also make some comments about that book too, but my focus will be the documentary itself. Um, so what do I think about this documentary? you might ask. I have to say, right off the bat, I really enjoyed watching this film. Yes, it has some serious problems. I don't deny that. Uh, in fact, I will cover all of these problems later. But it is, hands down, one of the greatest football documentaries that I have ever seen. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not saying that because I'm a Liverpool fan. Yes, the Liverpool fans will enjoy it more than others because for them, it brings back a lot of good memories. And it is about one of the greatest players of their club's history. But this film, documentary, I don't know, whatever, in and of itself is a fantastic piece of art. Yes, maybe this one was an exaggeration. I take it back. But it won't be an overstatement if I say this documentary stands on its own, no matter which team you are rooting for. For example, uh, the way stories unfold. Although you already know all of the results, fixtures, it still keeps you hooked and entertained. I, I think it is mostly due to the footage selection and its seamless editing. They obviously had hundreds of hours of videos related to Gerard on and off the pitch. But the ones they have chosen 
are spot on. You know, while you are watching it, you will never say, I wish they hadn't used this footage because it is redundant or makes me bored. On the contrary, almost all of the clips are to the point and help the narrative. There is also one other point that really has worked for the documentary and it is the way they have included the people related to Gerard in the documentary. You know, instead of following the cliche used in the most of the documentaries, I mean putting a bunch of people in front of the camera, interviewing with them and using those videos in the film and make us dream, we only hear the voice of the people talking about Gerard as the related videos are being played. Even Gerard himself only narrates his story and never talks directly to the camera or an interviewer. Of course, there was one exception and it was a few seconds of one of his old interviews, which was shown at some point in the film, but it is not the point that I'm trying to make here. Um, uh, they, they, they haven't interviewed and put those interviews in the film. We only hear the voice, the voice of those uh, people who talk about Gerard. Let me be clear. I'm not against using these types of interviews in the documentaries in general, but I'm sure it wouldn't have worked for this specific one. The simple trick in this case has allowed the editor, I don't know, maybe the director, to include more relevant videos into the documentary and telling a somewhat compelling story which is smoothly recounted without being constantly interrupted by the people who are not even the main focus of the film. However, this trick has come with one possible downside for the viewers, which is losing the track of who is talking. And I think I got confused because of that at least on one occasion, maybe on two occasions. I also, as I was watching this documentary, noticed how good the voice of Gerard is for narrating story. His voice, his intonation, and the way he articulated the phrases was somewhat on a par with those of professional actors. And I was really surprised the other day as I was listening to the autobiography of Gerard on Audible that they had used a voiceover artist to read it. I was disappointed. You can judge it by yourself. This one is the voice of Steven Gerrard in the documentary. Listen to it. I was Liverpool captain. Liverpool captains always deliver. They have to. The history, the tradition, the success. Am I worthy? Am I good enough? Am I going to be one of these captains where he goes, will he never won anything? the weight and how heavy the expectation was. It was just a constant thing in my head. And this one is the voiceover artist reading Gerard's autobiography. I discreetly pulled back my underpants as well as my shorts for a longer look. The gash in my penis looked pretty bad. Right across the middle, there was plenty of blood. I ran over to the touchline straight to Brendan. I also called over Chris Morgan and Andy Massey, who had just finished banding. Both of them are good, but I think Stevie was even better. I think when you watch this film, there are moments which make you emotional, especially if you are a Liverpool fan. For me, apart from the section covering the miracle of Istanbul, 
The most emotional part of the documentary was when they talked about the Hillsborough disaster. When the mother of Gerard was talking about John Paul Stevens' cousin, who was one of the victims of this incident. Paul's mum knocked us up out of bed at 7 o'clock the next morning and said that John Paul, one of Stevens' cousins, had died at Hillsborough. It was one of the saddest days of our lives. He was just a 10-year-old kid, only one year senior of Stephen. If he was still alive, now he could be a man of 40, having his own life. But now he is dead because of the stupidity of the police and the adults. When any innocent person is killed, it is painful. But it is even worse when children are the victims of such incidents. And this reminded me of somewhat similar incident that happened to me when I was a teenager. I'm not exactly sure how old I was. I guess I was 13 or 14 when me and some of my friends decided to go to stadium for the first time by ourselves. We, we thought that we had become some grown-ups. The stadium was a recently built arena which was located outside of the city. That day, we missed the buses which took the fans to the stadium, so we took a taxi. The main entrance of the stadium was along a busy highway. But the taxi driver, that fucking douchebag, instead of making a U-turn and dropping us right in front of the entrance, stopped across the highway opposite the entrance. There was no pedestrian overpass, underpass, any crosswalks. They had opened their brand new stadium without even thinking about the spectators who wanted to cross the highway. It was a fucking highway. There were many trucks, cars, and buses driving down that highway. It was scary. We, a bunch of kids, finally crossed the highway in one piece. While those fast-moving vehicles could have easily hit us. And then, when we entered the stadium, the arena itself was like a construction site. Many things were still unfinished. The parking lot, the gates, even the stands were all over the place. And when the game finished, there was not any exit around us. We had to wait for the spectators in other sections to leave so that we could use the exits in other parts, and the stadium was packed with the spectators. And all of a sudden, some of the fans in our section instead of waiting, started to jump from the higher edges of the stands onto the ground outside. And some of the people, including us, followed them. We were just a bunch of kids who wanted to go to their homes and we were in a hurry because we didn't want to miss the buses again. And the whole space that you could jump from was very small. The other parts were either too high or had fences. So the fans swarmed into a very tiny space, and then jumped one after another. The height of that place was not considerable. I think it was around two meters, but you could still break your hands or feet. And when a group of people flocks into a tight space, things worse than a bone fracture can happen. I don't know why they have left that part open or there was no exit in our section in the first place. Nothing serious happened that day. Because me and other people there were lucky at that certain moment. John Paul and the other victims of that disaster unfortunately didn't have that luck. I read in the autobiography, while I think it was not mentioned in the documentary, that 
the uncle of John Paul had given the ticket of that game to him as a gift. Even thinking about it makes me sad. I guess this incident has also ruined the life of John Paul's uncle. Okay, let's get back to our review. By the way, we will have a lot of these shifts in this podcast because here I don't want to just review the books or the films. Sometimes I also want to talk about my own personal experiences and tell you how the events depicted in these films or books relate to my life. Okay, I think the climax of the documentary, like the pinnacle of Gerard's career, is the miracle of Istanbul, that incredible comeback in the Champions League final in 2005. There is a scene shown in the documentary that I hadn't seen before, when at halftime Liverpool fans are chanting, you'll never walk alone at the stadium. You'll Never Walk Alone, that people sang at half-time. It was just a message to say, look, we haven't done ourselves proud, but we're still here. We can still bring 40,000 people to the middle of a ploughed field in Turkey. We're still somebody. But no-one believed we were going to get back into this match. It is incredible. Your team is three goals down, had a disastrous performance, and you don't give up and you still have hope. Let's move to another point. Now that we rewatch some old football matches in hindsight, sometimes we can notice that how much bullshit the football commentators can produce. You know, their predictions, their speculation, which never came true. I spotted two of such cases in the football clips shown in the documentary. Definitely they had chosen them intentionally. One of them is after the infamous own goal of Gerrard in the League Cup final against Chelsea and the commentator speculated that it was just the beginning of Gerrard's goals for Chelsea. And there is so much irony in that goal. Gerrard, many believe, has just scored his first of many goals for Chelsea. And the other one is after the second goal of Hernan Crespo to Liverpool in Champions League final when the commentator thought the game was already over. AC Milan 3, Liverpool 0, and this final is over. I can't believe it was 15 years ago when Liverpool defeated AC Milan. We are getting old. Those days I was just a high school student, even as a kid, I don't know when I was 10 years old, I always loved to watch Champions League games, but due to the time zone differences, the game started around midnight in my zone, and if there were extra times and penalty shootouts, the matches ended about 2am, while I had to go to school the next morning, and I already had woken up early that day to go to school. To make matters worse, since I did not want to wake my siblings or my parents, I had to mute the TV. So everything was ready for me to fall asleep. 
It was always a constant battle of staying awake or succumbing to my exhaustion. I usually would stay up and watch the first half, then at the halftime I would tell myself, let's take a short nap before the second half started. But more often than not, when I woke up from my intended short nap, the game was already ended hours ago. Then I desperately wanted to find out about the results, but since back then, we did not have internet in our house, I had to wait until the morning to ask about it from my classmates. Over the last years of high school, we had dial-up internet connection in our house, but due to the cacophonic sound, I don't know if you remember, that the modem and even the computer made, it was impossible to check the results after midnight. I watched the 2005 Champions League final in such circumstances. In the beginning, I was widely awake, but Liverpool conceded an early goal. AC Milan was the dominant team, so there was not much excitement in the game for me and it was the exam period I was tired I was still hopeful but as Milan was scoring more goals I drifted off to sleep but this time when I woke up fortunately the game was not over it was exactly the same time when Alonso was taking the penalty I couldn't believe my eyes. Liverpool had made an impossible comeback. It was crazy. The documentary brought back all of those memories. I'm not here to say we should fetishize the nostalgia of the past, but sometimes it feels great to be reminded of some of our good memories. This documentary is great in this regard. Make Us Dream is a standard documentary with a lot of positive points, but as I already mentioned, it still has some minor or even major problems which can annoy you, especially if you don't support Liverpool. In order to cover those problems, first of all, I have to tell you what this documentary tries to say. This documentary, this film, depicts Stevie as a hero, a legend who has been always loyal to his city, to his club, in spite of all the temptations, despite the fact that he had many offers from wealthier clubs with better players and managers, even at times when some of the Liverpool fans had become so ungrateful that a few of them insulted him or burnt his shirts. He stayed at the club, and while Liverpool, financially speaking, couldn't compete with many wealthier clubs, he won all different kinds of trophies with Liverpool. FA Cup, League Cup, UEFA Cup even Champions League title. There is only one exception, and that is Premier League title. He got so close to it too, but he never achieved it mainly due to enormous wealth of the foreign owners of some other English clubs. This is what this documentary tries to convey. Do I think what they show is not based on the truth? Do I have any problem with that? No, but I feel they have omitted some aspects of Gerard's career that they thought might damage this depiction. Yes, maybe if they had included those parts, the final product wouldn't have been this entertaining. But I think it is not an acceptable excuse. We are not talking about the movie. And in documentary, you are not allowed to sacrifice some parts of the truth in favor of your narrative or even your agenda. For example, the whole 115 matches that Gerard played for England have been neglected in this documentary. You might say they wanted to just focus on the career of Gerard and Liverpool and even the title of the documentary suggests that. I don't think so. 
Not when the whole international career of Gerard as a former member of England's national squad is defined by failures. I don't think that you can make a documentary about the life of a footballer and all the while you avoid talking about his or her achievements or failures at the international level. Okay, you say they wanted to just focus on the time he had in Liverpool? So how did they fly Oliver to the US to include some footage from the locker room of LA Galaxy in the documentary when Gerard was playing for them, but they didn't have time to talk about his failures as an England player captain? I don't buy it. I think they have excluded these aspects of Gerard's life from their documentary, because it could have damaged one of the main arguments presented in the film. It is somehow argued that Gerrard only couldn't win the Premier League because Liverpool, despite its rivals, didn't have enough money to keep its top players or buy expensive footballers. So if you consider Gerrard's record as England's national team player too, he won't be that great player depicted in the documentary. Now he won't be that legend who hasn't won just Premier League title. Now he will become a player who competed in six major tournaments and never won anything at this level. And it is not just about winning the international trophies. Only a limited number of players are lucky enough to achieve it. Gerard and his teammates in England even never got close to it. They never even got to the semi-finals in these tournaments. And apart from those six tournaments, there was Euro 2008 that England players, including Gerard, failed to even qualify for. As I said, in the documentary, it is argued that Liverpool could not win the title because they couldn't afford the players that Chelsea or Manchester City or Manchester United had in their squad. Or even it was due to the departure of players such as Michael Owen from Liverpool. But Gerrard had some of these players around him in those tournaments. David Beckham, John Terry, Frank Lampard, Rio Ferdinand, Wayne Rooney, Paul Scholes, Michael Owen himself. The whole golden generation of English footballers. So I can understand why they've excluded these aspects of Gerard's career from the documentary. They did not want to give this hint to the viewers that maybe Gerard was not a top, top player. Something that Alex Ferguson once had pointed out. Don't get me wrong, I think Gerard was a great player. I'm only trying to say his portrayal in this documentary does not exactly match the reality. And it is not his fault. He's not responsible for what the director has done. And one thing more, even with regard to the coverage of the highlights of the life of Steven Gerrard as a Liverpool player, I think the director was biased. Yes, I understand when you have a limited time in a documentary, you can't cover everything. The runtime of a regular documentary is 90 minutes. Exactly the length of a football match and a player like Gerrard usually appears in around 1000 matches before hanging his boots. So the documentary makers only should encapsulate the highlights or the most relevant parts of the games in a documentary. I understand that, but I also understand that there is something wrong when they cherry pick only the moments which support the message they want to convey. For instance, Steven Gerrard during his time in Liverpool got to the Champions League final twice. He won the first one, lost the second. These are the two most important moments of his life as an athlete. 
Which one is shown in the documentary? Only the one that he won. Why? I guess they thought if they include the second final in the documentary, they remind the viewers that two years after the miracle of Istanbul, again Milan and Liverpool got to the final. The same managers, Benitez against Angelotti, the same captain, Gerard against Maldini, but this time Milan won the game. In other words, Milan finally took their revenge. So maybe the greatest achievement of Steven Gerrard wouldn't be as glamorous. Maybe I'm too cynical. Maybe I have to give the director of this documentary the benefit of the doubt. Maybe I'm overinterpreting everything. It is possible that they excluded the second final as well as those caps that Gerrard earned as an England's national team player just because of the time limitation. You know, I can't dissect the head of the director and find out about his intentions. I only can judge a film based on what I see on screen. The final product, I mean. And when I watched this documentary, I felt that they were following a certain agenda. And the portrayal of its main character was somewhat biased in his favor. There is also another interesting point that I want to mention now at the end of this episode. The documentary ends when Gerard has returned to Liverpool Academy as a coach and he's managing some young players and he says, I'm here to finish my unfinished business or something like that. So what is this unfinished business? Obviously winning the Premier League and making the dream of Liverpool fans. The irony is... The last season, two years after the documentary was released, Liverpool finally won the Premier League with an 18-point margin. It seems that those who made this documentary couldn't imagine that in the near future something like this could happen. So all in all, if you're a Liverpool fan, you will enjoy watching Make Us Dream. If you're not, sometimes it can become annoying, get under your skin, but it's still an interesting documentary. But if you don't like football at all, I don't know why you're still listening to this podcast, let alone wanting to watch that documentary about football. Okay, that was the first episode of the Football Comment. If you have any comments or suggestions, you can DM me on Twitter at fcommentpod. It is the easiest way that you can reach me. I am really open to suggestions because I haven't got the hang of podcasting yet. And one more point. I think at least for the time being, I won't be able to upload new episodes regularly. I'm a freelancer and want to record new episodes whenever I'm completely free whenever I don't have any project to work on. But unfortunately, I got a really time-consuming project last week, so I guess there will be no new episodes for at least two months. I'm sorry, it's a shame. But I promise I will make more episodes after that. I, I don't think I have anything more to add. So take care and have a good one.